Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. Connecticut native, former UConn player, and current Rutgers men's basketball head coach Steve Peichel joins the podcast. We talk about his playing days at UConn, how he's built successful programs at both Stony Brook and Rutgers, last year's tournament run for Rutgers, and what this year's team looks like, and we touch on if we might see any UConn-Rutgers matchups in the future. And now to my conversation with Steve Peichel. Joining me today, we've got Rutgers men's basketball head coach, Connecticut native. You know him from UConn. He's at CCSU. I, I feel like I can make a connection to so many programs here in the state with you, Coach. But Steve Peichel's joining me today. Coach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, I tell you what, yeah, always great memories of Connecticut and uh, just great people. And I was fortunate. I spent the beginning of my career, really, from um, Central Connecticut to Yale University to Wesleyan University, obviously UConn. Um, just some great memories and just met some great, great people and learned a ton from the, the mentors I worked for during that, that, that time period. So, Coach, I want to start. You, you grew up here in Bristol. Make the decision to go to UConn. I know that was during, really, the first full year there with, with, with Coach Calhoun, and I'm always curious, what was the recruiting pitch like to come to UConn at that time? Because I have to imagine it was very different than what it was later on in his career, you know, once he started bringing home Biggie's titles and all of that. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, honestly, it was the beginning, you know, and uh, it was Tate George and I, his first recruiting class, coach Calhoun's. I had actually grown up a huge UConn Husky fan. And uh, obviously, you know, in the state of Connecticut, there's no pro teams. There's really UConn Husky athletics. And so I grew up watching coach Perno and, Carl Hobbs and, you know, Jerry Besselink and all the different players, Timmy Coles, um, all the different players that had played there. So I was, uh, you know, always excited about UConn. I had nine brothers and sisters. I grew up with in Bristol and my family saw me play all the time. And, you know, to stay and be a UConn Husky was, was exciting, but it was a different time for the program. They were just building and there, there was no success in the Big East level. And, uh, you know, just real proud of, you know, my fourth year there winning the Big East Championship and playing a real small, small part of that, but learning how to build programs really from one of the great basketball architects of all times, Coach Calhoun. Absolutely. You hear those stories of what it's like being in a, a Coach Calhoun-led practice. Were they as intense as, as they were made out to be when, when you were there? Oh, they were every bit of, you know, intense and you know, year one, you know, there weren't a lot of NCAA rules either. You could practice for, you know, 24 hours a day if if, if, if you wanted to. And so um, the rules were different. He was a tough coach, but brilliant. And, uh, you know, we were trying to, you know, build a program in the toughest league at the time. The Big East was an unbelievable league with, you know, John Thompson at Georgetown and Roly Masmino was at Villanova and Rick Pitino was at Providence and PJ Carlissimo was at Seton Hall. So you think of Lou Karnasek at St. John's, think about the league and think about these are all Hall of Fame basketball coaches at other schools. So, um, you know, coach did an unbelievable job in, in really in a short period of time too. my sophomore year. We won that NIT championship. And, you know, after that, soon after that, he really unbelievable job of, of building a program and dominating the Big East during one, one part of his tenure. 
Looking back on it now, what does it mean to you to have been a part of that team that, that won the first Big East title under Coach Calhoun there? Well, I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. And to have a mentor like Coach Calhoun, he's, he helps me today at Rutgers. You know, I make phone calls to him. Um, his experience and knowledge is unbelievable about building programs. Um, you know, UConn was just a great experience. I met my wife at UConn and, um, you know, my brother went to UConn, my sister went to UConn. So UConn's always been a big part of, you know, our lives, but being able to live through a build, um, uh, you know, with great coaches, Howie Dickerman, Dave Lato, you know, Glenn Miller, these guys are still a, you know, big part of, of my life today. So to be a part and see it from the inside, you know, how to build a program and the steps that he took and, and how he kind of built it, you know, was unbelievable experience for me. And not knowing 30 years later, I'd still be in coaching. You know, I, I go back to a lot of drills and a lot of lessons that I learned during the, that time um, of, of being a player. I was there for five years as a player because I redshirted one year and then I got a chance to coach with Coach Calhoun. Um, you know, when, when I really learned a lot because I was able to sit in those meetings now in a different perspective than being a player for him. So, um, you know, unbelievable mentorship and unbelievable apprenticeship to coaching, really. And just so thankful that I was able to able to do that. And as you as you go on and, and move on from UConn as an assistant, I know you, you spend some other time places as an assistant, you know, here in the state at Yale, you, you're at Wesleyan for a bit, you're at Central. What did you learn along the way that uh, that helped you as you became a head coach later on in your career? Well, I mean, a, a big part of coaching really is who you surround yourself with and, uh, you know, your assistant coaches and the people in your in your program. And then, you know, I think from my early days with Coach Calhoun, try to find like tough kids that are going to work. And, uh, you know, the Lyman Depreces of the world and the John Gwens and, you know, the, the uh, Rod Sellers, like, you know, probably under-recruited guys that just worked. Um and so learned, learned a lot of lessons, you know, about that and, and, and had a great staff um, that I could learn from as a, as a player. And now as a head coach, I'm at a huge state university, you know, that, you know, hadn't won a lot, you know, and, you know, kind of built it the same way. Hired a great staff, got some players that probably were under recruited and but they were tough and they had a little bit of chip in their shoulders. And, you know, we're trying to win in a league that had, you know, 12 teams out of 14 ranked last year. So, you know, I really compare our Big Ten league to the old Big East where every team was good. I mean, we had nine teams in the NCAA tournament last year. So our league we play in now is a dominant league and uh, with dominant coaches and the Hall of Fame guys and Tom Izzo and the Fran McCaffrey's of the world and, uh, you, you know, that are unbelievable coaches and, and uh, the Mark Turgeons at Maryland. So, a lot of the same challenges I, I go through and I'm able to call Coach Calhoun and pick his brain for some of the things he did during those those real difficult times. It's funny you, you said in your answer there about the Big Ten in, in comparing it to the Big East because I had that on my list here of what I wanted to, to ask you there in terms of now in, in this era of college basketball, the Big Ten is considered one if not the best conferences in all of college basketball. And, and how does that compare to the Big East of old. I, I know the styles of play are, are a bit different, but how does it compare in terms of the, that, that high-level play from the old Big East to, to where the Big Ten is now? 
I mean, I just think, you know, our conference has led the nation in attendance for 44 straight years. Like the venues that we play at are so difficult to win. Um, you know, when you go play Purdue on a Sunday, the gym is sold out. It's sold out two years in advance, you know, and then you're going to go play Indiana and then you're going to go play Michigan and Michigan State. I mean, and they all play different styles. You know, a lot of these leagues, when you watch them on TV, everyone kind of plays the same and, and plays, you know, similar styles. You know, the Big Ten, you can have Wisconsin, who is plays at the slowest pace of any team in the country. You could have them on a, a Tuesday, and then your game against Michigan State, who plays at the highest pace of any team in the country, is on Thursday. You know, and you have to go from one drastically different style to another, and both programs win all the time. So, you know, they win with their style, and, and Michigan State wins with their style. And then, you know, your next game is against Iowa, who plays the most zones of any team in our league. And so now you got to completely flip your script every day or two playing completely different teams and have your team ready to play those things. So the challenges, I think, in our league, and, and you know, again, there's 14 teams, you know, in the conference. They, they all sell out their games. They all have huge traditions and followings. You know, so I think, you know, the, the challenges are, are numerous across the board. Um, but it's exciting, too. And, uh, you know, it's challenging at every level, but exciting. And kids want to play in that. We're the most televised league in the country, too. So um, you could see Big Ten basketball no matter where you are or no matter where you're recruited from. Your family could see you play every single day. So our TV contract is unbelievable. Um, that we have for our conference. I know you mentioned earlier about building Rutgers up to the level where it is today. And I know you, you did the same thing when you were at Stony Brook and really building that team into a championship level team uh, at the America East there. What is it, in your opinion, when, you, when it comes to building a team, it, you know, really kind of from the ground up there, what, what are some of the strategies you put in place to help get those teams to the levels that they were at? Well, I will tell you, you know, a, a lot of the strategies don't have anything to do with the head coach. Um, they have to do with the administration. They have to do with the athletic director. Um, you, you know, first you have to have patience. And I've taken over a lot of programs that have had no tradition and haven't been very successful. And, and so you you got to have a great athletic director that has a vision uh, for your university. You have to work for great presidents, too, because presidents play a role in in everything that you do. But uh, the common denominator for me is I've been to great schools and universities. You know, they're great academic institutions. They have a lot to sell uh, besides athletics. Um, and then, you know, you have to hire great staff. I was lucky enough to get Carl Hobbs, who been a head coach, you know, and the Atlantic 10 coach of the year. He's won two national championships. You got to have good people surrounding you. Brandon Knight is another guy on my staff. He was a Hall of Fame player at Pittsburgh, the Big East Player of the Year. Uh, played in the NBA. Um, a great young coach, um, T.J. Thompson, another great young coach that I have on my staff. So you got to hire great people. You have to have the administration around you that understands your vision and has a little patience. And um, then you got to go and get great kids. You know, you got to get kids that want to be at your institution, that want to work hard. Um, I've been fortunate. You have a, a rabid fan bases. You know, we built a following at Stony Brook where the place was sold out. 
Rutgers University, the rack is an unbelievable place to play. And, and, and the fans have come out and now the students have come out and we sell it out. Um, so it's a process and you hope you're around good people that understand your vision and, and, and that are going to see you through the process because it's certainly not a microwave environment to build a program. Um, uh, you, you know, you have to do it step by step and and that's what we've been able to do at all the different places. But I, I've seen the mentors, that, uh, you know, that I've worked for do it. And, you know, I've learned a lot from those kind of experiences. Talking about surrounding yourself with great people, I, I want to ask uh, one of your former assistants is now at Fairfield and, and Coach Jay Young. He's been on the podcast a lot, a, a fun guy to talk to. What's it like seeing guys that have worked under you now start to become head coaches? You know, that's a great part of, of, of you know, of coaching. I mean, Jay Young... And I worked together through the whole build at Stony Brook University. He's one of the great coaches, you know, that I've been around uh, and one of the great people. And, uh, you know, he's year two at Fairfield and they're already playing in the, you know, you know, conference championship game. Like the job he's done, you know, has been unbelievable, but he's going to continue to do that too. He's again, one of the hardest workers, and just one of the great people, but you get a lot of satisfaction. He helped me build programs. He helped me at Rutgers tremendously. I'm just real, real happy for him. Really. I'm a fan now. And, and, uh, you know, thankful I had the chance to, you know, work with him. And, and I knew when I told the athletic director that Jay Young will get it done for you. And he's already done that on so many levels, you know, at Fairfield and, and, uh, he'll continue to do an unbelievable job, but it's great when, people you work with go on to become, you know, their own bosses and, 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 and get to experience um, life, you know, as a head coach. I want to talk a little bit about last year because it was such a, a weird year in college basketball, given the COVID situation, you know, no fans at most places. What was it like going through last season for you and your team? And then ultimately, I feel like it, it for Rutgers to make its first tournament last year, given just all of the challenges associated with playing that year, had to be uh, you know a bit extra special for you and your team last year. Well, well, I was just really happy for our players. You know, we got in the tournament the year before. We had twenty wins going into the tournament, and we were, you know, we were in. So they really did the job a year earlier. Um, because of COVID now that gets eliminated. And then everyone talks about it for the whole next year because we went, but we really didn't go, you know, and, you know, they got to carry that weight in along with the weight of, you know, a once in a lifetime pandemic, hopefully once in a lifetime, you know, pandemic and, you know, college is, is made for socializing, experiencing other people, going to class with other classmates being in the dorm with other people, our guys had to spend the whole year with no one on campus um, and, you know, don't get COVID and don't shut down the program. They had the pressure of that every day. We were tested every single day, you know, and don't be around anyone that gets it. Don't because you'll be shut down for 14 days. You know, like people just don't understand how these guys had to live um, 18, 19 years old and, and, and have an experience that has nothing to do with college. You know, it was as far away from the college experience as you could possibly get. And then they had the pressure of everybody watching every single day. People had more free time on their hands, more free time to critique everything. Every shot became more watched and more critiqued, you know, so th they had to handle a lot. Real proud of them, how they handled it. We never had a shutdown. We went to the NCAA tournament. We won a game in the tournament. 
I mean, just really an unbelievable year when you factor in all the obstacles that they had to face um, throughout to get there. From when you started at Rutgers to where it is today now, how do you help the team handle such a change in, in expectations? You know, when you first got there, like you said, it was building the program up from the ground. And now that you've made the NCAA tournament, you've won a game in the tournament, I'm sure expectations you know, just have to be raised in, in what's expected out of the program. So how do you handle that change in expectations to you know, really becoming a winning program and being able to build on what you've done? Yeah, I mean, the exciting part is to have expectations. Like, the exciting part is that I'm talking to you in August. You know, year one, I wasn't talking to anybody but myself. Um, You know, and the expectations were uh, minimal. Um, We had always had high expectations for our program. So um, that has never changed from year one to, you know, year five and year six. So, Um, you know, I think players have high expectations for our program. So, um, I try to get our guys not to spend a lot of time worrying about other people's expectations. You know, I, I mean, I don't think that's, you know, something that they need to understand. I mean, nobody knows how good other teams are. Nobody knows how an injury could change your season. No, nobody really understands that. And on paper, they write down expectations and, I always say, do you know the recruits that are going to Michigan? Do you know the recruits that are going to Ohio State? How do you know one team's fifth and the other team's seventh? Like, you know, you, it, it, you don't know a team's chemistry. You don't know a team's work ethic. You don't know how healthy a team's going to be. You know, so there's so many factors. You don't know the referee's going to blow a whistle one day and, you know, all of a sudden team's going to shoot two free throws when there was never a foul. You know, like, so um, there's a lot of factors that go into it and, and, you know, our expectations are, you know, has they been, we want to go to final fours and win national championships. And I think every team in our league, that's what our league does. They go to final fours and they try to win national championships. So that's the league we're playing in the big 10. And that's what our expectations are, you know, too. So we define our own expectations, try not to read into what other people's expectations are, but but I'm very thankful that people are following Rutgers basketball in July and June and August. That wasn't the case five years ago. In, in looking ahead to, to this year's team, I know it's only August, but how are you feeling about the team you've got headed into the season? Yeah, this is my best team. So, yeah, I'm feeling really good. And um, I have a nice blend of seniors and, and, and great leadership and guys that have logged a lot of minutes. And I, I got a team of young, young and hungry guys, too, that want to play. Um, our versatility is really high-level versatility. Uh, this is our biggest team physically, our longest team lengthwise. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I'm very excited about it. And uh, uh, hopefully we can keep managing this pandemic and we can stay healthy, and that's going to play a huge role in it. And um, but yeah, I haven't felt better about our program than I do now. Uh, I've got a couple just quick hitting ones that, that we could wrap on here. So to, to start with these kind of rapid fire ones here, what's the biggest lesson you've taken from coach Calhoun that, that you've applied to your own coaching? Well, well, I tell you, I mean, I've learned a lot of basketball lessons from coach Calhoun, but no better lesson than to watch, um, the example that he set of being a family family guy in a business that takes you away from your family all the time, you know, and, uh, he's an unbelievable father. He's unbelievable. Uh, he's an unbelievable marriage and, um, he's a grandfather now and I could see how he is with his grandkids and, and all the former players. So, 
Um, he's unbelievable to all the guys that he coached. So that was, you know, as, as important to me as anything, how to manage being a good family person and, and manage spending time with your family when your job is constantly taking you away from your family. So I learned I learned that along with the millions of lessons that I learned in basketball and uh, his brilliant mind in, in, in those areas. And I know you overlapped at Central a little bit with, with Pat Sellers and his time there. He, he was named the head coach this offseason. Uh, you excited to see what he can do there at Central? Oh, Pat will do an unbelievable job. Pat's one of the great, you know, people in coaching. And, and uh, he's a really good basketball guy, got tremendous experience. I got I worked with him at Central as we built that program there to go to the NCAA tournament. So he was part of that build. He's been a part of many, you know, many programs. Um, he's a Central Connecticut graduate. He he always was glowingly proud of of that. And uh, he's going to hire. He's already hired a great staff. Um, he'll bring back that Howie Dickman work ethic um, that made Central so successful. Uh, and, and Pat's going to do an unbelievable job. And, 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 and another guy that I'm, you know, I, uh, I root for all the time. I, I know one of my favorite parts about college basketball is the atmospheres. And I know we missed that a bit last year, but especially with you being in the big 10, where's the toughest place to take your team to play on the road? I mean, there's a lot of tough places to play. Um, I think Purdue in our league is by far, you know, one of the, most difficult place to play in the country and the job map painters done there. And, um, that place is, you know, you don't want to go to Purdue, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's to not, not to knock all the Ohio States. It's a great venue. Michigan state's always packed. Tom is one of the greatest coaches should be on the Mount Rushmore of college coaches. Um, Indiana's a tough place to go in and play. I mean, Illinois is a tough place to go in and play. So, you know, I say that to you, and there's no real easy, easy answer to that because I could probably pick ten, ten of the venues. But, um, but Purdue is a place that's always been very difficult. I think not just for Rutgers, but for everyone to go in and play it. I've got to ask: Are you surprised Coach Calhoun's still coaching? What were your thoughts when when he told <laughs> you he was going to go take over a D three program? Hey, amazing! That's what I said. Amazing um, to think about coaching at his age. Um, uh, and to continue to do it at the highest level. And um, he's amazing. That's the only thing I could say. I don't know at that age if I would have the energy, uh, you, know, you know, you know, to do what he does. But um, he never ceases to amaze me. He loves the game. He loves working with, you know, student athletes. Um, and he's great at it. So um, God bless him that he continues, uh, continues to do it. But I hope when, when I, I'm at his age that I'm, you know, on the beach somewhere or golfing somewhere or, and, and not worried about referees and not worried about the things that I worry about every day. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this one. I know since UConn's now back in the Big East, you know, they've been trying to play some of those old Big East schools. They, they played Syracuse. Um, you know, I know Rutgers is one the fans are, you know, excited to possibly get a matchup against in the future. I know there were some bracketology projections that had the teams playing each other last year that didn't end up playing out. Maybe Big East, Big Ten games that they've got. Could you see yourself playing UConn at all in the uh, in the future? You know what the the job Coach Hurley's doing and you know going to continue to do is is awesome. So I'm I'm excited that he's there. 
Um, you know, we don't have a lot of say in the Big East and the ACC challenges. You know, they kind of tell you, and, and we have more teams in our league than they do. So it's always like, a, you know, five teams that don't play um, in it. But, you know, I like to play everybody. So we had a great game this year at Syracuse and, um, you know, in the ACC challenge. And, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, whoever they, they, they put in front of us. And, you know, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, you don't care who your matchup is. You're just excited that you're in the tournament and you have a chance to compete for a national championship. So um, there's a lot of rivalries that, you know, I think we're developing here. And, um, you, you know, I, I think, you know, moving forward here, continue to, you know, play some great TV games and, um, and if UConn's part of that, terrific. And uh, if not, we'll play whoever else they put on the schedule. We'll be excited about that. Absolutely. Well, Coach Feichel, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on, and best of luck to you and your team this season. I appreciate you having me on. You have a great summer, and I thank you for ha- having me uh, a part of your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter, at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Cutler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.